You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Before we get to this week's episode of Assembly Call Radio, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Whether you are headed to a baseball game or to a concert this summer, or just anxiously awaiting football season, SeatGeek has you covered. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There is nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. That's actually why I use them when I bought, I've told you before about how I bought Ed Sheeran concert tickets for my wife. And that was one of the reasons why I really liked using SeatGeek because it was at an arena that I didn't really know about. And so being able to have a Raider like that, where based on the price and based on where the ticket is, you could see if you were really good and good value because those were pretty expensive tickets. It was really nice to be able to do that. So I appreciated that. And I used SeatGeek before. I've certainly used them since. And so that's why I like having them as a sponsor and why I feel comfortable uh, recommending them to you. And I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. Uh, Again, it is the easiest way that I found to shop for tickets. Uh, And so I suggest that you should do it as well. And best of all, since you're a listener to the Assembly Call, you get $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. So just download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y today. That's promo code ASSEMBLY, and you will get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is our 90th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 421st episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, August 23rd, 2018. I am your host, Andy Bottoms, as this week Jared is enjoying some well-deserved time off. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. With Hoosier Hysteria just over a month away, we were able to check off two more off-season milestones this week as both the official roster and the full schedule were released. Jared broke down the height and weight numbers on an edition of Banner Morning, and it would certainly seem that Marshall's off-season plans are already paying dividends for players up and down the roster as they prepare for the season. And as for the schedule, IU fans had already pieced together the non-conference slate, but the release of the conference schedule now allows us to view it in its entirety and project how the season could play out, look at the feasibility of challenging for a Big Ten title, and envisioning a path back to the NCAA tournament. Accurate predictions for a team we've yet to see play a single minute together, at least outside of social media clips, will be hard to come by, but for now, it's all we've got to get us through the next 37 days. I will say that I talked myself out of using the entirety of this week's banner moment to address what transpired at Ohio State on Wednesday, and there are certainly people who have already done that far more eloquently than I could. I will add two things. One, I think I speak for all IU fans when I say that I hope 
to never see any of the school's athletics programs in that position. But if we did, I certainly hope that it would be handled with far more tact than the buffoonery we witnessed in Columbus, where the real issue at the heart of the situation was willfully ignores, ignored and or ignorantly dismissed. And as I read and as I read through a number of articles at Urban Meyer, one of which was written by our own Ryan Phillips, and the school's apparent willingness to turn a blind eye to domestic violence in the name of winning football games, I was directed to an article by Diana Moskovitz on Deadspin. Article pointed out that whether it be coincidence or not, both Urban Meyer and Joe Paterno used the phrase, I wish I had done more in the midst of situations that eventually became more about them than the victims themselves. Individually and collectively, we face many challenges today that far exceed the importance of winning or losing a game. And among the things we can take away from how these domestic violence issues were handled at Ohio State is this. Let's not wish, let's do. The less we put ourselves in a position to say, I wish I had done more after the fact, and the more that we start actually doing more, the more we're able to help each other take those challenges on together and to enable those who need our help in the first place feel valued in the process. With that, I'll climb down off my soapbox and introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. To my left, he was a 10-year high school head coach in Indiana, currently an assistant coach at Western High School. He is the host of Sports Talk with Tonsoni, and he is the founder of the Delphi Bracketology Club. And perhaps most importantly, he is a man who embodies so much of what we mentioned above and is doing more through what he's working to build at Delphi. If you look through his timeline on Twitter, you'll find countless examples of opportunities he's providing to his students where they can create content and learn from established journalists and Jared. Uh, and what stuck out to me most uh, from his post during the first week of school uh, was a series where he tweeted about encouraging students to look out for one another by sitting with those who were alone at lunch and praising those who did with a quote such as, great things happen when we believe in young people. With that, I will bring on the coach, Brian Tonsoni. Coach, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. Thanks, Andy. That's uh, an incredible introduction. Uh, I appreciate it tremendously. Uh, as much as I uh, appreciate uh, your banner moment and, and what I'm thinking about as an Indiana Hoosier alum and, and fan and supporter uh, is the fact that I think that we've made some decisions in the past that may have set us back in the win and loss column, but put us on the right path. And, and as much as I think I really, really like Archie Miller, credit does need to go to Tom Crean um, for the most part with, with getting us going in the right direction with Tom Allen, a guy that I believe is doing things the right way. And I've told many people that I used to root for IU to, to win for IU and, and my fandom, uh, this year at football, I really am rooting for IU to be successful and go to a bowl because I think we have a coach who really cares about young people. And when you're in the business of uh, coaching, I think there's something bigger uh, than your one loss record, and it's what you do for the young men and young women in your programs. And and right now, I think uh, Fred Glass is doing a good job trying to get all of the coaches at Indiana University uh, to be those kinds of leaders. On the basketball front, football's right around the corner, and for us fans, we all we love all sports. But with the start of football, we inch even closer, and the taste of the schedule coming out really gets us excited. And we have some new ranking issues uh, for the RPI, which we need to understand because our Hoosiers will be in the tournament. And uh, so we have a lot to talk about and a lot to be excited about. But thanks again, Andy. It's, um, you know, I appreciate the kindness, but it's people like you who have helped me in the last few years with Bracketology and Jared with podcasting who have given me the ideas to then go and share. So it's not just me alone. It's the people you surround yourself with and the assembly call group is a fantastic group. 
All right. Well, now that we're done patting each other on the back, we'll move on. And to my right was supposed to be Ryan Phillips, but Ryan uh, got called into work potentially because he was worried that Brian and I had prepared some kind of uh, day late serenade uh, of happy birthday since yesterday was Ryan's birthday. But uh, I'm also on the lookout for any social media posts where he might be out drinking with Jared, who's uh, who's visiting San Diego. So at any rate, Ryan will not be here. Uh, so that leaves the coach and I, but we've got a lot to talk about. So I don't think we'll have trouble uh, filling in the uh, filling in the hour that we have. So obviously, we're going to go deep into the schedule uh, that was released on Tuesday in conjunction with the Big Ten schedule unveiling. So we'll look uh, predominantly at IU schedule, but also some components of of some other Big Ten teams. Uh, we'll put our bracketology hats on and talk about the death of the RPI and the birth of the NET or NET, uh, as it were, and what that means for us as we try to. Uh, Try to project the field this next year, and we will answer your questions as we always do on the assembly call. Before we get to this week's top story, I do have a quick reminder for you about a great way to shop online for tickets. Commit this URL to memory or bookmark it iutickets.shop. It will take you right to SeatGeek, where you can immediately find the best deals on IU basketball tickets as well as IU football tickets, concert tickets, and other live events. As a bonus, use the promo code ASSEMBLY to get $20 back on your first purchase. And when you use that URL, iutickets.shop, to buy tickets, we get paid a commission for referring you. Had a few come through this week, and as people have been buying IU football tickets, and these commissions add up and really have a big impact on helping us cover the costs of running the show, like website hosting, podcast equipment, and pay for Coach Tonsoni's trips to see B.D. Anderson's barber. Once again, the URL is iutickets.shop. You are listening to Assembly Call Radio. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Brian Tonsoni, and we're going to hit uh, a couple schedule things first. Uh, so, so Coach, I know inside the hall had you know their five takeaways from the schedule release. Uh, what were one or two things that really stood out for you when you had a chance to step back and take a look at the schedule? The number one thing from from my vantage point was I'm glad that the Big Ten tournament is back to the week uh, where it should be right before the tournament. That stretches out the schedule a little bit, and we're not discussing the three games with one-day turnarounds in a row and which team has the advantage, uh, four two-day turnarounds versus one. I think that was inherently unfair for a variety of programs, and I think Indiana had a little bit of a short straw last year. Uh, the other thing that hit me, Andy, is trying to figure out, uh, this is the fan part of me, is which games should we win, which games are going to be kind of likely uh, the real tough ones, and who's going to be competitive because there's some unknowns inside uh, the Big Ten with who's returning and how they're going to gel and some key losses to some key programs. You know, last year, uh, Minnesota and Northwestern were thought to be top four programs and turned out to have down years. So those kinds of ideas, when you initially look at a schedule and you pick this game as winnable or, or a tough game, often change due to preseason uh, situations. So th those are a couple of, of my takeaways. I, I kind of like the fact that we get off to a, a, a start in, a, in what I think we have some tough non-conference games especially in a row that Northwestern and that Penn State give us a chance to maybe get off to a good start. That kind of made me happy, but we could also make an argument the other way around as well. But in the middle of uh, Butler and Louisville and Duke, I, I think that's kind of a, a, a nice draw for us. Yeah, it was interesting. That was one of the things I wanted to talk through those, those first couple of Big Ten games. And I know, I feel like last year, Michigan State had a, had a couple of really easy ones and it one would probably argue that the same thing holds true this year they play at Rutgers and they play Iowa at home but I I tried to go through and look at you know most of the teams kind of the top 
I, I kind of picked the top eight as the ones I think even last week we touched on as being the ones who were probably you know most in the in the mix uh, for a tournament bid. And if you look down that list, most of those are not too bad. I think Purdue actually probably got the worst of it um, where they play at Michigan uh, and then they play Maryland at home. And I think part of that is tough for a Purdue team that's replacing a lot of guys and tr- going to be trying to sort some things out at that point in the season. One that really stuck out to me as you know, as a really tough start. Most of the others, even if they had one tougher game, uh, you know, everybody's playing one road, one home game. That part evens out for everyone. But uh, even the others that may have had, you know, Michigan, you know, has a, has Purdue at home, but they go on the road to Northwestern. So not terrible. Uh, I do think I use draw in that case is relatively favorable. I'm not as high on Penn State, um, you know, maybe as, as some other people would be and then get Northwestern at home. So Anything else stand out to you from those early Big Ten games in terms of what we might be able to learn about people early on? Well, you know, you're not going to learn much from Michigan State. I think they got a a nice, uh, easy draw there. You know, I'm looking at teams, you know, Michigan State and Michigan are the top two uh, in most of the preseason uh, talk. I'm going to be interested to watch that Michigan-Purdue matchup because I think both teams have the capability of being in the top six in the Big Ten. But I also think both teams lost uh, significant players. So that's going to be a game uh, there where that's going to tell me a lot uh, of who's focused. And then you get down to, you know, there's some interesting matchups. Um, Ohio State, Minnesota, Ohio State, Illinois, new coaches, new programs. Ohio State was really good last year. Illinois struggled a little bit. Uh, What happens uh, with those up and coming programs as well? And they play uh, Ohio State and Minnesota and so those are going to be some interesting tells after those two games, early, uh, late November, early December, to see kind of what the pecking order might be, 18 games left after that. Uh, but there's some key matchups to watch, I believe. Yeah, in terms of key stretches for IU, there's one that's gotten uh, a lot of, of discussion uh, in the IU basketball world, and that's the the stretch where they play six out of eight on the road, kind of in that early Big Ten schedule. So uh, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that uh, after we come back from the break. So stick with us on Assembly Call Radio, and uh, we'll talk some more schedule coming back after this. You are listening to Assembly Call Radio. If you ever have to miss all or part of an episode of Assembly Call Radio or one of our post-game shows, there are two great ways to catch up. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Assembly Call. Or you can watch the video replays of all of our shows on YouTube. To subscribe to our YouTube channel, go to youtube.com slash assemblycall. I'm Andy Bottoms here with the coach, Brian Tonsoni, and we are breaking down IU's schedule, which got released earlier this week. And, And Brian, the one thing... Uh, if anybody pinpointed, I feel like we did this on the show last year after the schedule came out. We kind of talked through stretches that we thought were key. Uh, I didn't feel that was necessary this year because everyone everyone would point to the same one. So there's this there's this eight game stretch where six of the games are on the road, and even the home games are difficult. And it starts on Sunday, January sixth, where they travel to Michigan. So they play at Michigan, at Maryland, home against Nebraska, at Purdue, at Northwestern, home against Michigan, at Rutgers, and at Michigan State. So in about a month's worth of time, you go from you know January 6th through uh, February 2nd, you play six of eight on the road. Your two home games are both against teams predicted to be in the top, let's say, five of the league. And really all of the road games, with the exception 
uh, of Northwestern and Rutgers are against teams that are also projected toward the top of the league. So uh, obviously that stretch feels brutal uh, to look at at the onset. Uh, but you were telling me before we went on that you aren't, I, while there's never a good time to have that stretch, you think the timing of it might not be as bad as uh, as people may think at first glance. Yeah, and what I didn't mention off the air, I'll, I'll mention here, is the time period from December 22nd to, I think, January 3rd, That those amount of days for some rest and focused uh, practice on the things from the preseason or the non-conference schedule or the first part of the schedule that Archie can work on with his team. And we talked about the turnaround days, you know, from I think it's Jacksonville on December 22nd to Illinois, uh, which we didn't mention as this part of the stretch, but that's a game right before this stretch. You can really pinpoint the weaknesses from the first uh, 13 games in November and December and really try to work at, on them. And then you're into the tough stretch. And sometimes that's that's really nice when you have a break like that, uh, especially in college basketball and, and with last year's condensed schedule, there was no time really to get fundamental and get fundamentally recharged. So I will, yeah, that's a tough stretch, but I look for us to be a little bit better coming out of that. And then, you know, from the fan standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, you take it one game at a time. You, you never look ahead. You, you might scour the schedule at this point of the year and just make some comments, uh, get some scouting done, those kinds of things. But as a fan, so I take my coach hat off as a fan, You, if you could get three, three wins out of this, uh, you could, you know, you'll be in a position for a top finish. And more than that, I think you're really doing well in this toughest stretch. And you got to look at at Northwestern, at Rutgers, and Nebraska at home. Those are three that, you know, most Indiana teams most years would win. And then let's get a chance at some of these other, other teams. And so, you know, I'm looking at if we can get three or four out of that stretch, that is a solid time and then finish strong with a really ben a good beneficial schedule towards the end. Yeah, the two thoughts I have about it are one, uh, maybe IU can benefit from something that we talked about a lot last year, which was, you know, other teams came into Assembly Hall before the students were back and what the atmosphere was like. And so IU will have, you know, maybe that Illinois game uh, that you mentioned, likely students won't be there, but really for the other conference games, the, the students are going to be there for all of them. And maybe I have no idea what, you know, timing is of when people go back to school. Maybe that Michigan game is when students aren't there. Uh, or at the very least, maybe Michigan's in the college football playoff and nobody actually knows basketball season has started. Uh, it, you know, you, you got go to Maryland again. I don't know the timing of when people go back, but you might be able to you know, hit a couple what would normally be relatively tough road trips that wouldn't be as bad uh, from that standpoint. And the other side is, uh, you know, things have to balance out. So that means your your closing schedule is a bit more favorable with a lot more home games. Uh, and so I think that's something that Again, if we start thinking about NCAA tournament and those kinds of things, you can build some momentum heading into the Big Ten tournament and, and heading into uh, into the postseason. So, it, yeah, it's not ideal to play a stretch with six of eight on the road. Um, but I think if they can get off to a good start in some of those games, things can start to snowball in a positive way. On the flip side, they could start to snowball in a negative way. But, um, you know, hopefully they've, they've built some momentum in the in the non-conference at that point and, uh, and can get off to a good start. And there are three Big Ten games, those two that we mentioned earlier, plus the Illinois game, give them a chance to have some games. And while you don't want to think of it this way, maybe you built yourself up a little bit by, you know, if you win those first three, um, you, you know, the thought of, of maybe losing a handful of these is a little bit less daunting and you come out of the stretch at 500 or so in total uh, and you feel okay about where you're going 
from there. Another couple notes. Um, Jared had another banner morning. Uh, yeah, I think we've hit on some of these points. Only one exhibition game this year. Sounds like that does leave open the possibility of playing a, you know, some of these secret scrimmages that people talk about. Who knows whether that will actually uh, you know, be the case just because I think schedules and things like that are a little bit more condensed. The other big one was the turnaround. So there's 10 two-day turnarounds, which sounds like a lot. But if you think about playing on a uh, you know, a Wednesday to a Saturday, that kind of counts as a two-day turnaround where you've got two days in between as opposed to just one. Um, so that to me is kind of standard for college basketball. So the 10 on the surface feels like a lot. To me, it's really not. Uh, I think a lot of that you can attribute to what you brought up in the opening of having the Big Ten tournament at a normal time. Uh, and do you see, you know, this year when you can step back, you see just how much that actually impacted the, the schedule. Um, so we had those, the days of the week were a little bit spread out. Um, you know, you're still seeing those Monday and Friday games, which are a little bit less, uh, less normal, but, but kind of made for TV. Uh, but again, I think, uh, you know, overall, uh, I think some improvements to the schedule from the big Ten's perspective as to what they have, uh, what they have at this point. And we'll obviously see, uh, see what happens. Uh, you're listening to Assembly Call Radio. I'm Andy Bottoms here with the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And Brian, when we were exchanging some emails earlier in the week about this, um, you know, you kind of put a, a coach's perspective on on the scheduling and how you look at this. And that's one of the, the reasons that we love to have you on is to kind of get that different perspective. So from a coaching standpoint, when you when you sit down and you look at the schedule, what are some of the key things that you look for? Uh, and if you've had time, how do you think this schedule, you know, marries up with that? Well, I, I look for, for the key parts of the schedule where we have to have certain packages in. You know, you're looking, you're looking at uh, Marquette uh, at the, as the first, you know, top game. Uh, you're going to have to have some three-point defense in, in that game. Uh, Duke, uh, you're just going to have to have some Zion Williamson defense in that. But you could look ahead at stretches and what time – what do you need to put in at different stretches uh, is, is one thing. I also like to look at how can we the, – the turnaround days, are I think, are more important to a coach because you want to have proper rest. You want to get your kids to class. You want to have pr uh, preparation. You want to get film study. And so you can start mapping out your practice times with the 20-hour limits and all of that. You can have your basketball operation guy or whoever they have do that you can explain your strategy. So I think that's a key part, you know, where we fans, we look at who's on the road and what, what time and when, when are they playing certain teams? I think it's more about that. The other thing from a coaching standpoint uh, is, are there any teams that we have to have a specialty idea? Like Isaac Haas last year was a specialty. You're not running into two or three teams that are going to have that kind of post play. So you want to identify those and, and how much time ahead of time you want to put in your, your scheme, for certain teams. And the last thing is, are there clumps of teams that have similar styles, a motion or a set play or a drive, a dribble drive team? Uh, it'd be really beneficial. And I haven't scoured the, the schedule for this, but it really would help if similar teams are bunched together uh, again for your preparation. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of, I noticed as I was, I was talking earlier, I kind of mentioned this a couple of times. I don't know if it's one of those things like that's uh, a, a myth, like being, you know, clutch or whatever those kinds of things are, however we define some of those things. But, you know, I talked a couple of times about, you know, how, how they could potentially build some momentum into that, you know, heading into that six of eight game stretch on the road and how they could build momentum uh, toward the end of the season as they go toward an NCAA tournament. I mean, in the heat of the season and going game to game, is that a 
is that is that a real thing or is that something that we kind of talk ourselves into no i i think it's real uh i think you know you got to guard when you're winning from being overconfident uh because then a team that you're not expecting will sneak up and, and, and beat you if you're if you get too comfortable and the other direction the, the negative momentum uh you could lose confidence and then not win a, a game uh again that you're supposed to because uh you're you're feeling down a little bit so I really believe coaching, you need a psych, you know, a psychology degree uh, to coach at high school and college to really understand where your team's at and try to te- keep your uh, team. It's cliche-ish, but even keel. Um, but yeah, you kind of look for, hey, can we get three or four wins in a row, feel good about ourselves going into a big, uh, big game? That would be good. But again, you try mostly one game at a time. The only looking ahead you're doing is for those big gap, you know, cluster strategy things uh, in a long-term planning session so the other thing about this year's team is that there's it's a lot of new a lot of newcomers a lot of young guys that they're going to be reliant on um is there anything special you do as a coach to kind of prepare them for some of these these difficult stretches where you're playing a lot of games away from home a lot of back-to-back road games it looks like most of these they'd have time to kind of come home in between there's none that are such such a around where you you'd stay on the road, but anything special to do to prepare these guys for that that road that kind of road environment? We got about thirty seconds left in the segment, so yeah. I, uh, anything you got to share there? You sit down and talk to Jawan Morgan, your leader, and, and you make sure that he passes on the lessons about what it takes to to be uh, you know rest on the road, what to do on the road, how to come back off the road, how to handle classes, and you really trust your captains and your leaders to teach the younger guys how to prepare for the schedule. Yep. I would agree. I think Juwan is going to be even more important than we all think for reasons like that as we, uh, as we move forward. All right. So those of you listening on the radio on Friday night, we'll be switching over to high school football for everybody else. We're going to come back and, and kind of break the schedule up into chunks. Talk a little bit about, you know, projected potential records in those and what we think I need to do in each of those stretches. That's next here on the assembly call. And welcome back to the assembly call. We now have almost 6,000 IU fans from around the globe who subscribe to our free email newsletter. What do you get when you subscribe? You get our weekly six banner Sunday news roundups, as well as our post-game analysis emails once the season begins. It's all free and it will make you a smarter and more well-informed IU basketball fan. And joining is easy. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. Again, go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 and join our free email newsletter today. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Coach Brian Tonsoni, and we are continuing to break down IU's schedule, which was released earlier this week. And Brian, I thought what we would do is I, I tried to break this into sections. Some of these are consecutive, and some of them are uh, more specifically the, you know, the first few are not really consecutive. But I thought we could kind of go through here, talk about what we would expect from IU in these and, and kind of what we think good looks like uh, for these sections of games. So, uh, the first, the, the non-conference, I basically segmented into buy games and and marquee games. So the buy games in that classification would be Chicago State, Montana State, UT Arlington, UC Davis, Central Arkansas, and Jacksonville. I think I would say that the UC Davis is really the only game that should be uh, potentially in question in that group. But this feels like one most fans are going to chalk up as 6-0 and in this 
uh, in this set of games. You think that's a, a reasonable expectation? Is that where you would would set the uh, set the record out of those six? I I think you have to, and this is where our, our record was hurt last year uh, with the you know the. Indiana State, um, no disrespect to them, but that's a team Indiana needs to beat. Uh, Fort Wayne needs to beat. Uh, when I was getting ready for the show, I thought we lost to four teams that we really were better than. That makes a 16-15 and 15 record, 20-11. and 11. And I don't know if we make the tournament, but we're at least in the discussion at 20-11, at and 11, and we have another chance to probably uh, – you know, win another game in the Big Ten tournament if we beat Rutgers. So while these games we kind of throw off to the side, Andy, you know, these these are games that, you know, let's not mess around this year. Uh, and hence my Hoosier hysteria comment from earlier shows. Let's uh, <laughs> let, let's be doing some closeouts and some three-point guarding and and let's get these six. But I think we need to go 6-0. and oh. Yep, I'd agree. All right, so I kind of bucketed these as marquee games. You could... Maybe argue that the at Arkansas game is not a marquee game, but maybe it's just games against major conference teams. So you got the Marquette game at home, at Arkansas, at Duke, Louisville at home, and Butler in the crossroads. So you look at this stretch of five games. What are you? I, what What do you expect, and what do you think is kind of a, a minimum uh, expectation to have for that set of five? Uh, to get where I would like to see Indiana get, I think they need to go a minimum of three and two. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Louisville has with Coach Mack being uh, new and, and the roster that he's putting together. Uh, will, will he have a similar result with what's going on there that Archie did when he came in, had some good guys, but was you know struggling, and that's at uh, Assembly Hall. Uh, Arkansas looks like a, a, a game, but it is on the road to an SEC opponent, and as we talk net later, we have no idea how the net's going to work out. They may finish in the bottom of the SEC, but if they're scoring margin, they have some close games, and the SEC has strong strengths of schedules, their net could be a little bit higher, and we get a win on the road, and they're still using uh, some tier systems. That, that's to me, is a big game because of the road. And the same as Butler neutral, not as good as winning on the road, but winning away from Assembly Hall is very, very important. And I think those two uh, wins are vital in this segment. Yeah, I tend to agree. I feel like three and two is kind of, I, I guess you'd set it as a minimum. I don't think it's the end of the world if, if you do worse than that. But, but I kind of look at those two true road games. The one at Arkansas, while you certainly can't take a true road game for granted, it feels like one that is very winnable because Arkansas had a lot of roster turnover. They lost a ton of scoring. They've got a good big guy inside, but you don't know who's going to be able to get him the ball uh, and those kinds of things. And on the flip side of that, you look at the one at Duke, and you, that's kind of a house money game. If you somehow find a way to win, that's great, but you don't really go in expecting to. So if you figure you're going to be one and one out of those two, then you've got the other two. You've, you know, you've got Marquette, Louisville, Butler, two at home, one on a neutral court when you probably have more IU fans in the building than anybody else. So then you kind of take that and say, all right, well, you should, you know, can you take two of those three games in? favorable crowd situations uh you'd like to think yes and that puts you kind of at that three and two mark so i, I end up roughly the same place as you on those uh so then i kind of grouped the first three big 10 games together kind of the ones before that, that big stretch we talked about so you got northwestern at home at penn state illinois at home um that feels like an opportunity for me to go three and zero in the league again you can't take road games for granted um penn state though not a terribly tough place to play you're still going to be in while while Penn State would be on a break between the end of the regular 
preseason in their bowl game. I'm not sure anybody's getting too fired up about that. Uh, you know, you got Tony Carr left. Um, so you don't know what, how good Penn State's really going to be. That feels like a, again, if you if you want IU to succeed at a high level, it feels like another stretch where you'd like to think they go 3-0. Are you in the same boat on those? 3-0. and uh, Caution, winning on the road is always tough. Winning on the road in the Big Ten, there, there's outstanding coaches. I'm not really sold on Chambers as a coach, uh, but yet they do win some games on the road. So uh, that that's the key one in you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit, I think, later about, you know, what what's your goal in the Big Ten on the road? And if it could be five and five, I think that puts you in really good position uh, if you, you know, guard your home court. And that Penn State game is, boy, one of those five that that we really should should get. That puts yeah. us at 12 at two. Uh, we agree on everything at minimum. That puts us at 12 and two going into that tough stretch with, uh, a segment of practice time in between. Yep. So we've got, so we've only got that eight game stretch. And so, you know, just to go over the games one more time at Michigan, at Maryland, Nebraska at home, at Purdue, at Northwestern, Michigan at home, at Rutgers, at Michigan State. So if what we have said hopefully happens is correct, I use three and oh in the Big Ten. They've got this, this tough eight game stretch. How do you look at that stretch just in terms of a, you know, what's a minimum? To, to look at coming out of that, you think for for the Hoosiers during during that stretch at, at time we're projecting, you know, we're now four plus months uh, ahead of the future. So you know, the further out we get, the harder this is to do. But I'm going to put you on the spot anyway, and, and kind of give us a thought on where they end up during that, that those eight games. I, I say minimum. I, I would really think Indiana needs to get three wins out of this stretch um, to get a decent seed in the um, NCAA. Uh, that's, you know, I think that's doable. I, I could see four or five if we really rise to the top, uh, you know, with, with Romeo and Juwan back and, and, and the good recruiting class, you know, teams rise to the top and teams that are supposed to be at the top, get down to the middle or, you know, so we could be that team this year, but that's, that's just a tough stretch and you, you want to play well and you want to win as many as possible. But I think we can get at Northwestern, at Rutgers, that's two. I think we can get Nebraska at home. And then I think really we really pick off, you know, uh, I think we can beat Michigan at home. I think playing in Assembly Hall is going to be back to being tough. We were 12-6 and six last year. That's got to change. You know, I can see losing one or two. We play some tough teams. But tough teams have come into Assembly Hall to get crushed. Uh, Michigan, number one, a few years ago, 2014-13, when we had game day. Uh, we need to get back to the assembly hall being tough. So we're not afraid of Michigan, Michigan state, Purdue, Wisconsin in our home floor. So, you know, I, I think three and five, we could take it. I would like to see four, four or five during this stretch. that would really set us up well. Yeah. I th- I'm like you, I think three and five at a minimum. I think I, well, ideally you'd win them all, but <laughs> in a more realistic ideal world, uh, you know, four and four, would feel pretty good. You'd be seven and four in the league at that point with a lot of your tougher road trips out of the way. Um, and I kind of look at the games like you did the two home games. You feel like, you know, in those stretches, hopefully you can get the at Northwestern at Rutgers seem to be the most winnable of the road games. And if you've managed to do all, all of those that puts you at four and four at a minimum, and maybe you steal another one, but yeah, I'm in that three and five to four and four range there. Uh, so the next stretch, I deemed the Iowa to Iowa stretch just because I didn't want to have a nine game stretch together. And this was as easy a way to group it as any. So, but it's a stretch that starts with a home game against Iowa and ends uh, with a road trip to Iowa. Uh, so you've got Iowa, Ohio State, at Minnesota, Purdue at home, and at 
Iowa. So that five game stretch, you've kind of maybe you feel like you can exhale a little bit. Your your gauntlet of those eight games is done, and now you've got three of those five at home. Uh, Iowa, Ohio State, at Minnesota, Purdue at home, and at Iowa. What are your thoughts on that stretch? Boy, this is a stretch where we, uh, Indiana, I say we all the time. I know I'm probably supposed to say Indiana as a somewhat quasi-journalist, but uh, Indiana <laughs> Indiana needs to go at least three and two in this segment. A sweep here would be really solid. Um, again, take care of home court. I, I think, you know, I, I think we're going naturally on paper without seeing Indiana play. They're better than Iowa and Ohio State and Minnesota, but playing at the barn is always tough. Uh, I think we're better than Purdue, uh, and playing at Iowa is tough. So, again, three and two, take care of home court, lose on the road uh, to teams that are you're competitive with. Yeah, three or four wins I think is a must. Uh, w- we sweep this, and I think we're having a lot of great post-game shows, and the chat mob's going crazy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, the road games in this stretch are hard because I think Minnesota and I were two of the tougher teams for me to peg in the Big Ten. Minnesota had uh, injuries. They had suspensions. They had a lot of things last year where they took a huge step back. Um, They have a little bit of personnel turnover, um, but still a solid core of guys back. So I think they could could be much better than what they showed last year. And Iowa, uh, you know, if they decide they actually want to guard somebody, they certainly have some talented offensive players. So those, you know, again, as we do this, looking out, you know, five months into the future at this stage become a little bit hard, but I'm kind of with you three and two, four and one, uh, you know, you hope to do that. If you do better, um, then great. And then you go into the last four games of the season, three of those four games at home, you've got Wisconsin at home and the only matchup with the Badgers, you've got Michigan state at home. You have a road trip to Illinois and you have Rutgers at home. So if we follow through your, your notion of how much they can protect the home court, and they can find a way to win those three, you know, one, two of those would be quality wins. Uh, if, if Michigan state and Wisconsin are what we think they're going to be. And at Illinois, they're another kind of mystery with the way that Underwood, you know, plays, they've had some roster turnover as well. Uh, feels like a stretch. If they're really playing well and can protect home court, they could sweep it down the stretch as well. But a couple of those home games are ones that you really can't take for granted. Uh, your thoughts on that one. Yeah. You know, if you go to the Iowa, Iowa stretch and you take three wins and then you take three wins in the final four, you're sitting at 21. And I know we're in a tournament. Now that might be a six, seven, eight seed. We might have to get a few more wins, but if you go four and one and three and one, now we're sitting at 22 with a win or two in the, in the big 10 tournament. So, uh, the, the thing is Andy for me, and, and again, this is more of a fan than a coaching perspective. I went back through last year's roster. We were or schedule. We were five and eleven against teams that we were competitive or underdogs against. That needs to flip. Indiana basketball should not be five and eleven against teams that are competitive, and that's that's just my criteria. So that's not expert criteria, but we got to beat some of the teams. And and Michigan State's scary, but they're coming into Assembly Hall. If we can get that attitude and get the guys playing together and everyone filling their roles, then Indiana is going to have a chance to not just do the minimum, as we're talking about. But, yeah, the Final Four is tough with Wisconsin, uh, MSU. I say two minimum, three is probably likely, and we're sitting at uh, probably 21-22 regular season wins. 
Yep. All right. I like it. That sounds good. I'm sure we'll do more of this with the uh, with Jared and Ryan as the as the season gets closer. But I thought that was a good way to look at it. Uh, you're listening to the Assembly to Assembly Call Radio. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Coach Brian Tonsoni. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about the new metric that's going to replace the RPI, but we're running a little long on this segment, so I'm going to try to hit a couple quick questions uh, that we've gotten that we've been kind of holding in reserve here. Uh, and then after we come back from the break, we'll talk about net. Uh, so Brian, I'm going to a couple of these over under questions. Uh, so the question here over under on the overall team, three point percentage, this was set. These both came from Joel. This was set at 36%. So last year it was 32.2 national average was 35.1. Uh, in the three years prior, IU was at 38%, 41.6% and 40.6%. So over under three point shooting as a team this year at 36%, what side are you taking? I'm going to go over slightly. And that's probably more wishful thinking. If we go over, then we're stretching the floor and our post players and Juwan have some free reign. And that was our weakness last year with shooting. I'd like to see it. I'd like to see it as a fan go over until we see Fitzner, Romeo, and Devontae and what kind of shots they get within the offense. And if they're hitting, I don't know if they're capable of making that big of a gain. Uh, but boy, it would be nice to, to have a, over yeah i would agree with you i'd probably take slightly over but i do think that number is a pretty good one to set it at that if you get back to around the average with uh with some of those guys i don't think we're going to see the number jump up to what it was in the korean era just because there was such an emphasis on that and uh some of the shooters they had during that time other over under uh this is also related to three-point shots over on total three-point shots taken uh, this was set at 700. What I'll say is, so last year it was 602. The year prior it was 776. And the year before that it was 831. Um, I, I'll take this one first. I'm going to say, I'm going to still say, take the under on that. Again, I just don't think they're going to get uh, as many. If you set it at 650, I'd probably take the over because I think on a team that should shoot it a little bit better, you'll probably see them take a little bit more. But 700 for me was just too high. I think with the pace of play, uh, and also just the way that Archie wants to play 700 feels like a huge jump um, and would have to suggest that the spacing and the guys taking and making the shots have are doing so at a, a far greater clip. You in the same boat on that one? I'd have to say slightly under it. I have to say whoever's setting these limits ought to work for Vegas book because they're setting a really difficult number. Uh, <laughs> you can, if it's going to go over, it's because we are shooting better and, and the inside game is opening up some shots. And, and you're looking about at about three more threes taken a game, uh, 30 games at three. If we have the talent, that might be enough to go from 60-something up to 700. I think it's going to be extremely very, very close to 700, but I would also take the under. All right. Well, coming up in our final segment, Brian and I are going to talk through our initial thoughts on the new NCAA evaluation tool, uh, net uh, metric that's replacing the RPI, and we'll try to answer some more of your questions. So uh, stick with us here on Assembly Call Radio. listening to the assembly call we're wrapping up another week of talking iu basketball i'm andy bottoms here with the coach brian tonsoni and brian as uh as fellow bracketologists this uh the, the news of the rpi probably meant a little bit more to us although it was kind of a big story in college basketball uh, to the extent that there are big stories in college basketball in august 
Uh, so the RPI, the the tool, and the metric that the NCAA has used to to rank and categorize wins as part of the selection process is is no more. Uh, there had been a process. I think it started. I'm going to say maybe 18 months ago, where they had pulled together a lot of. Uh, the, the authors of these different analytical tools. So Jeff Sagarin, Ken Pomeroy, uh, Kevin Palga, who does KPI, uh, they'd had them together and kind of had a, a, in a summit, if you will, uh, to really talk about what they could do from a metric standpoint to replace the RPI. And so that has, over the course of these last 18 months, led to a few different, uh, you know, some additional discussions. And eventually what was rolled out this week with the, the net metric, uh, so the NET, uh, that'll now be used in the same way to categorize wins. Uh, so, so what were your initial thoughts on that? I'm sure as you look back, having gotten into bractology these last few years, your reaction to that, I'm sure was much different, uh, than it was before, but, but overall thoughts on, is this a good thing? Is this a, is this a bad thing? What do you, what do kind of fans need to know, uh, based on what you've, you've read and listened to at this point? My, my initial reaction was one of fear that it was going to be a standings board, uh, and then the committee was just going to go in and and take the top, you know, 32 teams as at large or whatever. Uh, that, I think, takes the spirit out of our job as bracketologists. Um, might add to some uh, fan attention to know your team's two spots off of making an 11 seed. So, you know, there, there, there could be some argument there. But that was my biggest fear that if they go to a mathematical formula metric, and it still could happen if the if the committee just takes that number as you know stone cold rankings. But when I heard the tier system was still going to be in, the net just simply replaces the RPI as a sorting mechanism. And the reason they like the net is because it takes in many different things other than just who you play and who your opponents play and opponents' records and all of that. The the wins and losses it takes in some offense and defensive metrics. A as a coach. You know those those metrics. It, it's it's you play to win the game, and, and you know your your margin of victory. Do you foul at the end? You know if you if you're down four with thirty two seconds, are you going to foul or are you going to save your margin of uh, of defeat? You know, uh, and and th those are things that I've had discussions with coaches all the time. That you know some coaches would file all the way down and take a 6 point game and turn it into a 14 point game because they wanted to teach their guys to battle to the end do some pressure at the end and so forth and not give up um so i'm not a big fan of of that but i'm also not a big fan of just scheduling in the rpi so i think this overall is better andy i, I think it incorporates a lot of things and i think you'll see a a truer measure and as you put together your bracket, I'm sure you looked at a variety of metrics. When we had a question, we went outside the RPI and we looked at Ken Palm and we looked at Sagarin and, and what might make the difference uh, in a tiebreaker situation. So I think it's just something that we'll have to get used to. And if it's the true tier system, I think bracketology is the same thing. You're going to look at the number of wins in tier one versus two, you know, uh, tier two and three, and, and we'll be able to be somewhat close, uh, at least in this first year. Yeah, I would agree with you. I, you know, I think it, it, it if they're still going to kind of organize and categorize win the same way where, you know, beating a certain, a team of a certain rank at home is equivalent to beating a certain team of, you know, a wider range on a neutral core and then on a little bit wider range, uh, than that on the road. I don't know how much it changes anything. Um, I, the thing that I thought was interesting is, you know, one, one of the, 
takeaways out of that initial meeting where some of the folks that were involved had some concerns, I guess, uh, about taking kind of results-based metrics. So the RPI being one of those. So things that all it really cares about is who you beat uh, and what your wins and losses are with their metrics that are predictive, like a Ken Palm or something like that, and kind of meshing those together. There was some consternation around what that would really do. And it seems like this new metric does that to a certain extent. There is a, at least a more of a flavor uh, of some of the efficiency metrics and the metrics, um, but the wins and losses still matter as we talked about. And I think, you know, Rob Doster uh, of NBC did a good job. He had a podcast with Kevin Powell where he kind of talked about if, you know, it's a one-point game and the ball's in the air when the clock's running out, the, the result of whether that shot goes in or not has to matter at the end of the efficiency standpoint, it's one possession. So it doesn't really matter that much. So uh, I'm hopeful that they've struck the balance between those different kinds of metrics. I think one of the things that people have called out that makes them a little uncomfortable is probably too strong a word is the fact that, you know, all of this is kind of shrouded in mystery in terms of what the actual calculation is. You had a lot of people who could go and reduce the calculation of the RPI on their own and at least come extremely close within a few decimal points of doing that. I don't know. It sounds like it's still yet to be determined how much of the the new formula they're gonna uh, they're gonna have. But that's the one thing that makes me a little bit uneasy. Which is not to say that I could go and replicate the formula on my own if I wanted to. But I think it becomes a little bit difficult for people to understand if you really can't say what all goes into it. it becomes difficult for coaches uh, and some of those kinds of things where it's just this black box. Uh, any, any thoughts from you on on that component of things before we uh, before we hit a few more questions? Yeah, I think the transparency issue is one of the things that they've tried to uh, increase their transparency over the last five or six years with having journalists in and the mock selection situations and sharing information. And then if they're going to keep this formula secret because they own it, that they open themselves up to, okay, yeah, Duke's number is always going to be higher. And this, you know, and, and so all that transparency that they supposedly wanted to bring out uh, they're losing it with not making it uh, public. You know, if you're going to change it and this number is good, I think they ought to just share uh, with people what it is. Um, that that was interesting to me, the, the privacy. It was interesting to me that they didn't share some stories about going back and seeing what the seeds were or what any teams have been in. That obviously would help us in, in trying to make a decision. I think it ultimately comes down to, like, last year a team could have been 48 in RPI and being considered and maybe the net is now 64, and they're not considered. Uh, so some teams will benefit from it, uh, and some teams will uh, be knocked out uh, because of it. And the only thing that I'd like to know is this. If you're 16 and 15 and, and lose all one and two-point games and win all in one two-point games, the scoring margin thing is is high in your benefit. Um, well, not high because you're not winning games, big margins, but the efficiency numbers could be – different and is a 16 and 15 team worthy of getting in if the metrics are based on too many efficiency numbers and, and games that are close one could argue that they're in a lot of games and that would be a good tournament team so if you didn't like the rpi you're happy uh people are not going to be happy about the end the, the net as well um and then you and i will just keep being in the in the top you know portion of it and <laughs> so well, well I, I like it i like the way you're thinking um right, yeah one thing they said they were not going to do is go back and kind of restate what what teams would have been in previous years which i think would have been certainly would have helped us from a bracketology perspective i think would have just been interesting for people to 
kind of get a better understanding of how it works and, and, you know, find teams that really, you know, benefited or didn't benefit not doing that kind of opens yourself up to that. And you're not going to know anything until this season. So again, I might've made a different decision, not my decision to make. We'll, uh, we'll adjust and adapt as, as we do through the bracketology process and go from there. One last thing that I hope it does is I hope that it gives some quality mid-majors who don't win their conference tournament but have solid uh, records a little bit of an opportunity to maybe sneak in that 10-11 line. You know, um, I'm an Indiana guy, true and true. My son's a manager at Indiana State, and I see what they go through, and I don't think they're going to be necessarily in a position to get an at-large. But just say if they did and got knocked out in a tournament uh, and they had some quality wins on their schedule and the net – is a little bit higher than what the RPI was. I think that's a benefit. I think sometimes we have too many of the top power schools in, you know, eight, nine, ten teams from a conference. So let's hope that the net kind of gives us some small guys, at least two or three of them, a little bit better a chance to get in. Yep, I like it. All right, you're listening to Assembly Call Radio. I'm Andy Bottoms here with the coach Brian Tonsoni. And Brian, we got time for one, maybe two questions here. So I, I handpicked this one for you because of your uh, your affinity for this guy. If Robert Finnessy, this is from Matt on Facebook, if Robert Finnessy blossoms into a stud at point and Green makes the jump and comes out strong as his sophomore season gets underway, why all the talk that we need a star point guard for next year's class? I'll kind of leave out the rest of this question for the purpose of uh, of time. So w- what are your thoughts on that? You you always need depth, and I would say the answer would be depth, and then the flexibility of Green maybe playing the off guard after uh, if Romeo leaves, you're going to need an off guard. So you can ro- rotate those three in, but you can never have enough depth. As we saw, the point guard play struggled at times, and we tried to bring in Newkirk, and then he struggled. You can never have enough point guards on a basketball team. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think the spirit of the question I agree with, which is, do you really need a top-level guy? You're, you're assuming that you're not going to have a point guard. I do think you need somebody who's going to be able to step in and give you minutes, whether that has to be you know, the top-ranked guy in the class who you think you got to come in and play right away. I think that's a perhaps a different question. Uh, last one, real quick. Saw a recent photo of Rojo back at IU. Got me thinking, who would make the all-time IU beard team? So give me a guy or two that you can think of that actually had a beard. I had I struggled to think of many at all, to be honest with you. My goodness, that's a tough question in a short amount of time. I know. Uh, Everybody was so clean-shaven in the night area, you can't really think of one. So uh, I, well, we may just need to wrap it up. We'll, we'll think about that for this week, and we'll come back and, uh, and see what we can yeah, do. Yeah, we'll have to. But that'll do it for this week. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of Assembly Call Radio. Or you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for the Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to go to assemblycall.com slash join to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We'll be back to talk IU hoops again with you next week. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim and go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support The Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, 
Another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Rocket Pro Insight gives real estate agents full visibility into the loan status of each of their clients, making it easier than ever to help their clients strengthen their offers with a verified approval. Plus, agents can adjust a client's approval letter amount in real time. Sign up today at rocketpro.com slash real estate and get the freedom to check a client's progress from anywhere at any time. Call for terms and details. Equal housing lender. Licensed in 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Verified approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions.